Hi, everyone, and welcome to Romance in Color. I am your host, one half of the podcast team here at Romance in Color, Tatiana, uh, here with our sixth installment and episode in our Writing in Color series. Um, If you joined us last week, we talked to Sophia Singh Sasson about her work um, writing with Harlequin romances and how she bridges that gap of her immigrant uh, world traveler experience uh, with her work with Harlequin romances and how she wants to spin a new romantic tale involving her own diversity as an Indian uh, woman. But this week, we're going in a different direction. Uh, what do jumbies, soca, uh, doubles, roti, or any of that have to do with uh, romance? You'll probably say nothing, right? Uh, but that is not true uh, for our guest on this episode of uh, Writing in Color for Romance and Color. Um, Natalie uh, Peltier, who writes under the um, pen name NG Peltier, uh, is a native of the Twin Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. Um, She is a wonderful writer who writes romance and urban fantasy and infuses her culture, uh, her Caribbean culture, in all of the works that she does. We talked with her all the way um, from her island in uh, Trinidad. Uh, We talked about the diversity of the island. We talked about what she wanted to achieve uh, goal-wise with her writing and her own submission process now as she's now agented and getting her, trying to get her work out there um, to the mass uh, masses for us to consume. Um, I was particularly excited because I'm married, as you all know, my husband is from the Caribbean. He's from the island of St. Kitts. So her voice, her musical voice was very, very uh, soothing to me. It sounded like my my in-laws, my family. And so by extension now, Natalie, you are my family too. <laughs> uh, so uh, without further ado, um, you all enjoyed this uh, episode of uh, Writing in Color Uh and Romance and Color with Natalie N.G. Peltier. All right. Thank you, Natalie, for joining me on the podcast all the way from Trinidad. So thank you so much for being here. And like I was telling you earlier before we got started, it's so nice to hear of, of uh, accent that's so familiar to me in my home because my husband's from the Caribbean. So it's so, it's so nice to, to hear a, a, a familiar sound and accent. So I know, like I said, when he hears this podcast, he's probably going to be super excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in reading your bio, it said that you write uh, stories with a Caribbean twist to them. So are you primarily writing romance? Are you writing in all different types of genres? Or, or um, is romance your primary focus? And if it is, how do you incorporate those things into romance? Um, yes, romance is, is my primary focus right now. I mean, I do have some manuscripts that might lean more towards urban fantasy, but there is some kind of romance in this. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't skip the romance. <laughs> I have to put mm-hmm. it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, focusing mostly on romance right now, mm-hmm. I'm actually, 
I'm on submission. I'm still on submission. I've been on submission since 2018 at various stages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book on submission is a romance, mm-hmm. a contemporary romance, kind of rivals to lovers. Oh, okay. Yes. And then okay. I love a good rivals to lovers. <laughs> are there other 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 Caribbean elements in this particular story that you have? Um, on yes. Well, actually, all of my books are set in the Caribbean, specifically mm-hmm. in Trinidad, and my characters mm-hmm. are Trinidadians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you will find in these books, you will find mentions of carnival. They might not focus on the festival itself. Mm-hmm. But, so specifically, the book that's on submission, mm-hmm. one of the characters, the hero, is actually a music producer. And it's a little, it's set a little after carnival time. Mm-hmm. So we're not deep into it, but I do kind of delve into what some music producers do around carnival time where they create mm-hmm. things called rhythms. That's R-I-D-D-I-M-S. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is rhythms or a specific rhythm or tune where you have a bunch of different artists taking the same rhythm or tune and they create their own songs around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of incorporate the carnival in different elements and then I would also incorporate our like local foods and music so things you will definitely find a recurring thing in most of my books would be I will mention pilau I will mention doubles jira our local foods okay that's will... making me hungry now <laughs> <laughs> and I will always my husband had had to go search for like roti yesterday he just had to have one. And the way in which I would incorporate those things is, you know, the characters might be at a family gathering because Trinidadians, we love to party, we love to mm-hmm. lime, to mm-hmm. hang out, um, you know, just gather with our families. And at those gatherings, we would have the food and we'd have the music. So that's really how I mostly am incorporating Trinidadian culture in my writing. Nice. Nice. So when did, like, you first get interested in romance novels so I asked everybody the same question like when did you fall in love first with romance novels where did we leave off at I think I was telling you how I incorporated Trinidadian culture into my writing so I was talking about via introducing our food and bits of carnival and um soca music yeah yeah I'm I'm not sure how much of that you caught yeah, I, and then I realized I wasn't hearing anything. It's okay. I, I heard most of it because I, I said I said I'm, I'm I'm definitely familiar. I said my husband yesterday was searching up and down the road for for roti. So ah, was, my mother is actually my mother's actually making curry tomorrow. She's not making the roti. <laughs> she's making curry and buying the parata. Yep, yep. So he was yeah using, because we yeah. actually just reopened. Um, food places for oh, delivery wow. and pickup because they were all closed. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. They just kind of reopened uh, Monday, actually. Okay. Just, just for delivery and pickup only. So. Okay. Yeah. So, incorporating those things. So, so in the beginning, I, I think I asked you before we got cut off, when did you first start falling in love with romance novels? When did you start getting introduced to them? Um, I think I was definitely a teenager by that time. I mean, I've always been an avid reader from since, you know, small kindergarten. But I think I randomly, if I'm remembering correctly, I randomly found 
this old Tata Nelson Boone's book. Ooh. I think I found it at my grandmother's house, so I didn't know if it was her book, if it was my mother's book. It was literally kind of like the covers falling off and all kinds of stuff. So I found it, and anytime I see a book, I'm always interested to know what it's about. And then I started mm. reading, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And I'm pretty sure if I go back and read that book right now, it was probably very problematic. <laughs> but I mean, teenage me is not going to pick up on that. She's just going to know, okay, this is an interesting story. I'm going to keep reading. And then eventually, um, when I got like my own little bit of spending money, I would beg my mother, please, can I go to a used bookstore? Because, I mean, used bookstore, it was easier to get books there rather than brand new. Because here, we don't really get all the new releases right away. Mm-hmm. So, and this was before, you know, going online and buying ebooks and that kind of thing. Right. Like, yeah, take me to the, books, the used bookstore. And I have my poor mother waiting there while I go, because it's a lot of books. It's like shelves mm-hmm. and shelves of books. And I'm just there going through each book to see, okay, which book do I want? How many books can I get for them with my little bit of money that I have? Right, right, <laughs> To right. make them last. Because, I mean, I was just blowing through all these books very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I have to wait until the next time I get a little, an allowance <laughs> before I could go back. Right. So, so, yeah, it just started from Mills and Boons and mm-hmm. went from there. Mm-hmm. And so now in, in the career, what do you do professionally in Trinidad and how do you oh, balance I, I with am a marketing officer at an insurance company so oh, that, wow. yeah <laughs> that's yeah. definitely different than right enrollment so how yeah, do you kind of balance yeah I mean I'm mostly working from home now mm-hmm. but, but yeah mm-hmm. so during this time of like quarantine and things mm-hmm. how has like your routine changed like before, how were you balancing writing and working? And now that you're home, like during this quarantine time, how are yeah. you balancing working and writing and things like that? Um, I mean, of course, the weekends is always more accessible for me since I work during the week eight to four. Mm-hmm. Although, to be honest, I sometimes used to sneak and write at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just sneak a little bit if I have a little downtime. I, you know, just write it work quickly. But, I mean, mostly I would write um, when I came home. So, even even though we are working from home, those of us working from home, we work from 8 to 4. People who are working in the office, they work from 8.30 to 2.30. So, I still have to work 8 to 4. So, I still have to wait until after I've closed down my work laptop. And it... And really, especially more now, I think it's a little more difficult because everybody's mm-hmm. mindset is a little different. Mm-hmm. People are uneasy. Mentally, we might be struggling with everything. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of harder now because even in, let's say, when we just started getting cases here in March, I was really struggling to get any words down whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And even if I try after work during the week, it's hard. So I think I, I kind of stick more to the weekends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I guess in that regard, my weekend schedule hasn't really changed. When I wake up in the morning, I will try to, you know, get some words down first thing in the morning before I get mm-hmm. any other distraction. Mm-hmm. The weekend mm-hmm. is really more my time than okay. during the week because it's very hard after you work and mm-hmm. you're just exhausted to focus on 
creating hoods. Right, right, right. Especially with everything that's going on. There are more yeah. pressing issues going on than, you know, trying to get your writing schedule to d- down. But at the same time, the writing could be catharsis for you, you yeah. know, especially with everything it's going on. Because, you know, you get this chance to immerse yourself in this world that you've created. And I mean, you are in control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't physically go out to a party right now, but I can have my characters go to a party. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Live vicariously through my characters, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you can look at it that way. And I mean, just writing fun banter and dialogue between characters is, is you know, it is pretty um cathartic, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. So now that you're, so let's talk about the publishing process itself. Mm-hmm. Um, did you self did you self publish before um, getting no, your? No, I I did not. I mm-hmm. thought about it when mm-hmm. I was um, querying before I got the agent, and I mean it's not mm-hmm. something that's off the table. It's something that's still, you know, still in my mind as an option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know there's there are hybrid authors who are traditionally published and who also self-publish if they think right. okay this might be more suited for self-publishing as opposed to traditional publishing. Right. So I'm, I'm not ruling it out completely, but I, yeah, it was a consideration, you know, before before I got my agent. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that process of, of getting an agent and querying. Like, mm-hmm. what what are some things that you learned? And how did you get your agent, first of all? And what are some things that you learned during the whole querying and getting the agent process that you think, like, aspiring and other writers should know? Well, I connected with my agent through DV Pit. Mm. It is a Twitter pitch contest that was created by Beth Phelan, and I hope I'm pronouncing her surname correctly. It's hosted twice a year, and... Actually, the uh, most recent one was in April. Um, so I, yeah, that's how I connected with my agent. I decided to try it for the second time because the first time I tried it with a different book. And I mean, I nothing really came of that. So I was like, you know what? Let me try with this contemporary romance. And honestly, when I wrote that romance book, I was not in a very good place because... Um, we had some shakeups at the job that I was working at at that point in time, and they actually uh-huh. sent some of us home. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was a very shaky time for me, and that book actually, you know, was helpful mm-hmm. in, in the writing process. So yeah, so I queried, uh, no, I pitched it, and when I got all the likes and everything, I decided to sort through the agents, um, and that's where I think, you know, the research aspect of it comes in very handy and very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I did my research. There were agents who, you know, would be on my wish list, but I still did my research. I made sure and see, okay, do they even represent the genre that I'm trying to write in or query one? Mm-hmm. Um, check out their submission guidelines. And like the typical Virgo that I am, I created a spreadsheet to keep track of all these things. So I had which book I'm querying, um, just some information about the book, and then I put the agent's name, and then I put, like, what were their submission criteria, because I think that's very important. Um, So that's one thing I would 
um, say to people who are querying, please follow the agent submission guideline. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. If you don't, that might be the first thing that might kind of make them say, okay, if you can't follow these basic guidelines, then mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right forward with right right what makes things what you said to me yeah yeah um, so yeah and i i did my little spreadsheet i put um the data submitted um and another thing is uh, when you start an out in aquarian it's very hard because it takes a while and publishing in general <laughs> which right. is another thing i'm learning which is, i learned that through the aquarian process i'm learning it through the submissions process publishing mm -hmm. takes a while yeah, yeah, it just might take a while to get back to you if you know in their submission guidelines they say if you don't hear from me after three months, nudge me. You know, it might you might be a little uneasy about nudging people, you don't want to bother them, they're busy, right. but do, do nudge them because they have to deal with a bunch of queries plus mm -hmm. their clients that they have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say what I learned from that process is do your research. Um, Research is very important. Um, I think I also, at the time I did, I was not signed up for Publishers Marketplace, but I would say if you have like a Publishers Marketplace submission already, that's another way you could check out agents to see the deals that they've done, the books, um, the kind of books that they've sold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. another research element, but of course that's not free. That's something you have to pay. Yeah, for. you have to pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in finding an agent, was it important for you to find one that kind of understood you culturally where you were coming from and your point of view? Um, oh, maybe, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, they, they have to at least be open to, you know, a book that is not set in the U.S. What is she gave? Right. And when I had the call with my my now agent Lauren actually she said that was one of the things that drew her to the to my book she, she right. was like okay you know it's not set in the US or the UK it's set in the Caribbean it's not really a setting that you might see a lot right right um, right in right. publishing mm -hmm. and she was like yeah and she also said it made her hungry as she was <laughs> made her listen to soca music as well and I was like really which yeah. <laughs> I thought was yeah. very interesting yeah yeah um, yeah and of course there will be little things so i would say like during the revision process with her she would defer to me because i mean she wouldn't know or she might have questions about certain aspects mm -hmm. cultural mm -hmm. things that i might put, put in my book because i mean she's not a part of the trinidadian culture so she will just ask me you know um what does this mean or whatever and i will just explain um but mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. at least you want somebody who's excited about, you know, certain yeah. aspects of your book that you think you've poured your heart into. So, I mean, right. I always went into this knowing that I want to set my books on my island because yeah. I want to give people a taste of Trinidad mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to the usual setting that you might see. So, so I'm hearing you and you're saying, you want to give people a taste of what, what happens on, on Trinidad and in, 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 in island life. So are there things you think you do when you're writing that kind of appeal to like a broader audience? Or do you are you just saying, hey, this is what it is, you know, 
get, get understand it or not, or yeah. or, or um, are you feel pressure to do like to to like water things down for for a broader audience? Kind of a mix because I don't generally write with the mindset of appealing to a broader audience, but of course, at the back of my mind, there's always going to be. Um, that question and this comes up for me especially when I'm approaching dialogue because mm-hmm. um, in Trinidad we code switch sometimes you might speak standard English or you would speak the local dialect so now I have to consider that when I'm writing my characters do I want to include more dialect should I include less will readers understand what I'm trying to say from just the context do I need to explain more or do I just write it and let readers do their own research and Google? And I mean, I think readers are very smart and don't need to be spoon fed all the time. I agree. I agree. Because I mean, I feel like if a reader's picking up a novel about Trinidad, then they, they have some sort of cursory knowledge about what Trinidad would be about, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I know for myself, like if I read... There are some things that I might read in a book set in the U.S. that might confuse me, and I will Google <laughs> it. For instance, the grading system, like the grades, I never know what grade, I never know how old somebody is. <laughs> I, have be, I have to be like, what does grade 10 mean? How old is this person? Because <laughs> we follow the British, British system, which has primary school and secondary school. And that always confuses me, but I mean, I could Google and find that information. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For instance, and I think to me that that's a good opportunity for a reader to learn something. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, so when I pick up a well, I don't know if you've heard about romance class books. Mm-hmm. Those are books written by Filipino authors, um, set in the Philippines. They write it in English, mm-hmm. and I've started reading a lot of those books. And be and I mean I'm I don't know a lot about Filipino culture but from reading the books you learn certain things so when you see it in other romance class books you're like ah yes I already know right. what maybe this dish is this is familiar to me right. so I mean to me it's just a avenue for readers to learn and mm. just broaden your horizons a bit I guess mm. so while I don't set out to appeal to a broader audience um, mm-hmm. I I do hope that people will relate in some way to the mm-hmm. characters that I write because yeah, it's that's in a different island, but the tropes are the same. Right, the right. That you might see in a book that's set in the UK or the US. Right, right. The spelling might be a little different, but it's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> you know, color with the U versus O. So you know. <laughs> um, so what? what about kind of building the world for your characters um how much do you do how much of that do you do before you start writing like I mean I know that that you're familiar with the world because you're in it you live in Trinidad and so on and so forth but how much of that do you outline before you write do you just kind of sit down and start typing you know how much of that do you build out before you get to like the not an extensive plotter I have like a loose outline I do I at least do some bullet points of plots and what's happening and maybe some character um what do I want to character 
structure to be like. So okay. in terms of building certain things, I might think about before I actually start to write, would be like, okay, it's definitely set in my island, mm-hmm. but which part of the island am I focusing on? Mm-hmm. Because depending mm-hmm. on which part of the island you are from, that might determine the kind of personality or character this, this um, individual that I'm writing about might be. So, right. So I loosely think about will the characters explore different parts of the island during the story, or am I just focusing on a particular area? Mm-hmm. How does where the characters grew up affect mm-hmm. them, where they live, where they work? Or are the, are these characters more inclined to be city people? Do they mm-hmm. live more in like the villages in the southern part of the island? And you know mm-hmm. that kind of impacts who these people are in general. So I might have a mm-hmm. loose idea. But because I'm not an extensive plotter, those things might build and grow as I'm writing the story. Mm-hmm. And I know we talked a little bit about tropes and stereotypes, but you made a good point. You were talking about, you know, are they going to be city folks? Are they going to live in a different part of the island? And I think a lot of people, you know, like I said, from being married to somebody from the Caribbean, they have this idea that the Caribbean is just, People living in tiny houses and like you know, so, you know ever, forever living on a beach, right? Forever living on a beach and all this stuff. True. I wish that stereotype was actually true. <laughs> right. Right. No. Um. Depending on where you live in the island, if you're from Mayaro, you might have a house near the beach. Right. Right. Might not be too far from the beach, but where I live, there's no beach. I right. Can't see where I live, right. I think we are all more to get to the beach. Right, house. right. So, right. Um, so yeah, I that is one stereotype where it's like, no, that's not actually true. Because and then that reminds me of something I read in a a book where somebody actually said parts of the book in Trinidad, mm-hmm. but they put the characters were leaving the airport and they could see the beach, which is impossible because you can't see the beach <laughs> from our airport. Right, like, right. Uh, just little things like that, you know, something you could have Googled at least. If yeah, you, you can view that on the map, right. And other people are not going to pick up on that, but a Trinidadian like me, who is yeah. reading that, would be like, this, this is not possible. You can't, you can't see the beach from our airport, if you're driving further into the capital city, then you might see some sea. Right, right, right. And the thing is, it's going to differ for every island in the Caribbean, because some Mm -hmm. smaller islands, yeah, you might see the beach wherever you go, but that's not here. It depends on where you are. Right, right, right. But I think that's that's a testament to your writing, because I think it's breaking down these ideas that the Caribbean is sort of all the same. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think I think particularly you're doing like a, a, a service to those who may not have gone been, visited the Caribbean so they can see that it's a it's a, it's an island which is, you know, a variety of different things and made up of so many different elements of people, mm-hmm. places. And particularly with you in Trinidad, culturally, you know, the mix of folks down there, you yeah. know, People are some people aren't even aware of the you know there are Indian people there are you know indigenous folks out of most of our population predominantly is Afro Trinidadian and Indo Trinidadian right 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 and people don't realize that and I don't know if a lot of people realize that we are actually a twin island republic so Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. one island 
Trinidad and Tobago, and Tobago is different from Trinidad. Tobagoans have a different accent. Right, right, right. I think, people, I think people didn't know about Tobago until Winston no. came out, so I don't yeah. think they realized that was yeah. an island. <laughs> so, yep, it's two islands. Yeah. And yeah. even within Trinidad alone, people are different. If you're mm -hmm. from a certain part of the island, you might have a different accent from somebody. So, okay, mm -hmm. if you're from, like, Deep South, you might have a different accent than somebody who's from the Western part of Trinidad. So even within mm -hmm. the island itself. Mm -hmm. um, and that is why, to me, you know, people writing their experience is so important because there are certain things that, okay, if you are not a Trinidadian writing about Trinidad, yeah, you could Google it and find out or you could talk to somebody. But if you're not living it, little nuances, you're mm -hmm. not going to know. You're not going to pick up on it right. and you're not going to know about it. Right, right, right. So, Right. So that's the, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, so in, in getting, I, I know tw in talking to other writers, I know Twitter has been like vastly important to them and, and helping kind of shape like a community of other writers. So have you, how have you like utilized maybe social media or um, Twitter and things like that to kind of build a community of other writers to kind of maybe help you through the writing process if not like you know having people to kind of bounce ideas off of or you know having like a beta reader group or something like that yeah that's that is how i connected with the beta readers that i have now mm -hmm. <laughs> and i mean some of them i haven't met them in person i've met one of them because she's actually a trinidadian who lives oh, nice. in new york and she visited Mm. Uh, Trinidad, and then we met up, and then when I went to New York, we met up. <laughs> so, mm. Nice. Yeah, that um, Twitter has been a really important resource for me in connecting with other writers, and not just other writers, but other authors of color in the romance community itself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's just been a great tool of meeting people because that's how I met my agent. Mm. Um, that's how you know you get to find out what do edit what are editors and agents looking for, especially right. if you look under the um, manuscript wish list hashtag on mm. Twitter. And yeah, just connecting with other authors of color in various stages of the publishing um, journey. Mm -hmm. So because I've had um, people who, I mean, they're not officially like a mentor or anything like that, but when I was, one key example that I will always remember, when I was trying to craft my pitch for DV Pit, Alexis Daria, whose books, you know, I've read and loved, she actually reached out to me and asked me if I wanted help with my mm. pitch. I was like, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I didn't find that at all. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. And then in on the flip side, I try to help out people where I can too. So if people are looking for advice on querying, you know, I, I mean, I'm not an expert by any means, but at least I could kind of say, well, this is the resource I used. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you want me to look at your query and give you some feedback. So it's just been a really great resource in connecting with people and not just other writers, but like bloggers as well. Right, right. And, you because, and, and that's how I find most of my recommendations for books to read from yeah. people I would say I trust, whose opinions mm -hmm. I trust, is from Twitter. 
Yeah, yeah. And you make a good point about mentorship because that was going to be my next question. Like, mm-hmm. how valuable, well, you say you don't really like have mentorship, but do you think, or how valuable do you think mentorship is in the romance community, especially for people of color? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very important um, to have it, even if it's not, even if you don't call it mentorship or you, you mm-hmm. might not even realize that mm-hmm. um, if you take somebody under their wing, that that's kind of what you're doing. Right. So, yeah, because you kind of want to know. So from the people who have gone through it, they can kind of help you with their struggles. Okay, this is what I went through. Maybe they could give you some advice on how to deal with certain things. Mm-hmm. There's just And there's just so many people out there who have a wealth of advice and knowledge that can be really important to those of us who are, you know, now trying to get into this game. Really mm-hmm. Right, right. So I think it, it's just, yeah, it's it's very important, especially for others of color who have such a harder time. Right, right. And I think, yeah, and I think uh, particularly for a lot of authors of color, we feel kind of alone because particularly like yes, in our experiences exactly. and stuff, because writing is already solitary. And then when you're a person of color, you feel like, okay, nobody's going to understand what I'm going through or what I'm trying to write or what I'm trying to relate here. You know what I mean? Exactly. So at least you find some people to commiserate with, even if it's not publicly, even if you take it offline to the DMs or something, or you have a little private group, at least, you know, you could kind of vent about these things, about um, situations that you can relate to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's um having that community specifically is very important. Yeah, yeah. So in the in the writing process, and um, what has been the most difficult part of like not really the submission part? Because I think a lot of the submission part is kind of hurry up and wait because you're just kind of <laughs> waiting to see yeah, what happens. Waiting is the hardest part. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I have never known being patient as I have during this process. <laughs> right, right, right. And then, like, um, when you're writing, what are some of the hardest things to write scene-wise? Oh, um, definitely sex scenes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, even have to think about that like I could write witty but the film dialogue easily mm-hmm. like come very easily to me um mm-hmm. but oh my god sex scenes are the worst specifically for me because if I'm writing one there's several things I need to know that, or ensure that it's happening in a scene it, I have to know okay what's working for these characters what is the heat level here because I, yeah. i'm not gonna write the same heat level for every character kind of dependent on the personalities mm-hmm. of the characters mm-hmm. so that's one thing i have to figure out i have mm-hmm. to figure out okay it needs to be tension filled it needs to be emotion and chemistry mm-hmm. it needs to be sexier of course right. um i might want them to be having fun and not taking it too seriously so there's a lot happening but it needs to balance. There's a lot to balance. And most of the times it's like pulling teeth for me to get it the way I want it to be. <laughs> oh my right. God, I have to make all of this happen in a believable way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I, that Trina is going to find interesting and not boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think for me, I can I think writing like tension is, is easy for me. But when I'm writing sex scenes, like I literally have to really set a mood. Like I literally have to turn the lights low, have to turn on some yeah. music. And if you are going to have multiple sex scenes in a book, they have to be different. It can't be the same thing repeated over and over because the reader is going to be bored. Right, 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 right. I know I have experienced that in books before where I'm like, okay, I'm just skipping this. This is going on too long. I felt I felt that way about Fifty Shades of Grey. After a while, I was like, okay, girl, this is enough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because, okay, if you're going to have a long scene, then I, you have to keep me captivated for that whole scene. If I find myself skimming, it's like, okay, I, I'm just skipping this. <laughs> right, 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 right. If you're oh. going to include multiple scenes, they have to be different. They should mm-hmm. all have a different purpose, I guess, mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's another thing. I think people don't, like, people, I think people have this kind of, um, stereotype about romance novels that they're kind of like loose porn for like like women who are like not really into porn but this it's not like that at all it, it, <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be wrapped in sort of a there's a touch of realism in in, in i think romance that people don't realize like we're trying to write realistic love scenes that happen whether they be graphic or not that you know it, it yeah, and, and that's, in that's the thing that's why i mentioned um heat levels as well depending mm-hmm. on the characters because for mm-hmm. me they have been books that had copious sex scenes and I was bored and there were books that had none but the characters had so much tension and chemistry it was like riveted and I'm like okay mm-hmm. this is exciting mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's kind of making you wonder all right is this gonna lead to a kiss or something but mm-hmm. yeah it, yeah or well, every scene has to be similar a purpose I think mm-hmm. yeah so we talking about hard hard scenes to write. What about when you're like in the weeds with your writing? Like, how do you get out of those moments of like, okay, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of stuck here. Now, not really like a writer's block because you're yeah. writing. You just don't know yeah. where I'm going to end up. You know what I mean? So how do you kind of get out of those? There have things? been moments like that for sure. And I think instead of forcing it and trying too much i have to mm-hmm. probably walk away for a little bit go do something else maybe my mm-hmm. brain is overtaxed mm-hmm. and i just need to relax so maybe i need to go and read somebody else's book right, I need right. To maybe watch some tv um go watch a movie just kind of relax your mind because sometimes when i mean of course you can't really go and hang out with friends now but that you know, was an option when mm-hmm. all this was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you hang out with friends, you relax, you talk and chat. And even when you're doing those things, you might have like an aha moment and figure out, okay, I know where this scene is going. Or you talk it through with somebody. Get an yeah. outside perspective because you might not be seeing how to get this from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. But if you have somebody who, you know, is outside of the writing process. Mm-hmm. You may be able to say, okay, why don't you try this? Mm-hmm. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny you so, said it. Last night, I was trying to work through something 
And then my husband, like, he, I let him read a lot of stuff sometimes. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, what about, you know, that doesn't make sense. So why why is he going to, like, for example, something that's happening in my book, I was like, well, he's going to lose his job, right? And she, he's like, but why is he going to lose his job? It can't be because X, Y, and Z. And I don't think, you know what, you're right. You know, so it's good to kind of, like, balance people, particularly people who aren't in the industry, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Are, yeah, they're they're not, you know, they, they they care about you, they care about what you're doing, but they're not so deeply invested there. They're like, oh, you need to do this and you need to do that. You know, it, it's good to kind of get that feedback off of folks like that when you're definitely in the weeds and not know, knowing what to to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And mm-hmm. step sometimes stepping away is just what you have to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> So now that your book is is going to submission, what and and, and of course it's gonna we, we or our print is gonna get published. No 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 problem. We, we're not even gonna say it's not gonna get published. Um, what do you think literary success is gonna look like for you when when it's all kind of said and done? Like, what does that look like to you? Um, of course, I would want the usual things that writers want. You want to see yourself on the list. You want to win awards. But what I do try to focus on a lot is like um, a couple little goals that I have. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like we were talking before and I was saying, you know, um, I always wanted to be on a podcast. Right. And I didn't think it would have happened before I was published, but I'm glad it did. So that's one thing I can check off. <laughs> well, I'm glad I can help. <laughs> Come on a podcast to talk about the writing process and that kind of thing. Um, also, other little goals that I would hope to someday check off my list is, of course, holding my book in my hand, seeing my book in a bookstore, um, having readers taking pictures of my books on the page favorite bloggers doing aesthetics for my books or characters um yeah just actually having a lasting career is more important to me than just one book really breaking out as a success because that's that's kind of more tangible I guess would you like to end up doing this full-time like full-time writing I mean yes um, mm-hmm. I would, but I mean, it's not feasible right now because my job is paying the bills. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I, I, you'd be surprised. I talked to many during the course of this. I've talked to writers who are PhDs and MDs who still have their jobs, but they're still writing too, which is amazing to me. I'm like, how are y'all doing this? But yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's hard because... Mm-hmm. Especially if you, when you get the deal and you have these deadlines and you have work. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It would be hard. So being a first-time writer would be the ideal, but, I mean, realistically, a lot of writers aren't able to do that. Right, right, right. Everybody so, yeah. can't be Nora Roberts, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to write a lot of books to be able to, or be, you know, I guess, perfectly positioned. positioned. Um, mm-hmm. in life to be able to do that or maybe have a good support system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so Natalie. Yeah, so all right, so we're going to come down to our final segment of the podcast mm-hmm. and um, this is like rapid fire questions. So okay. I'm going to give you a few like scenarios and you just say the first thing that comes out the top of your head. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> I am ready. Okay. Your favorite book as a kid? 
Um, I think not the Nancy Drew books. Oh, second person to say that. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. because I had a bunch of Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys. I had them in paperback, and I think at one point they did them in like a yellow hardcover. So I had oh. those. Don't yeah. ask me where they yeah. are now. I have no idea where those books went to. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely a favorite. Do you like writing heroes or villains? Um, well, I, I mean, I mostly write heroes, <laughs> but who doesn't love a good villain? Right. <laughs> I mean, in one of my um, urban fantasy books, there are a couple of villains in there because I, I throw in some jumbies who mm-hmm. are, you know, like our, our versions of supernatural folklore characters. Yes, who, yes. They are not all good people. Yes, some yes. of them are villains. And it's it's very intriguing to write them, you know, their motivations and what makes them do these things. Yeah. So, yeah, villains are, are intriguing to write and to read. Yes, yes. So I think we, we talked a little bit about this, but do you like writing love scenes or dramatic arguments? Um, well, we know the love scenes are, are tough. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe dramatic arguments, and I, I don't know how many dramatic arguments have I really written. <laughs> fun to write, but it's also fun to read because I love when characters and romance are arguing, and one is just so fed up, and they shout, "It's because I love you!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm just sitting there like clutching my chest, like, "Oh my god, it actually happened! They actually said it!" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those- Fun to yeah, those would be kind of fun to write and to read as well. <laughs> yeah, because you know it, everything has been building up to that moment and it finally happens. Books, books don't always translate that well to movies, but if you had to, what would be the best movie that translated? I mean, best book that translated well to a movie that you've seen? Uh, I honestly feel like I don't know that I have any favorite books that were made into movies. I feel Mm. like I've hardly seen any. Mm. And right now, with all the Twilight discussion, that's that's the one that pops up in my head. Because, I mean, I read all the Twilight books. I've only seen the first two movies. Mm -hmm. And, of course, while I was watching the movie, I'm like, Okay, this is not how it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, I mean, as with um, books and movies, the movie is never going to be completely the same. Right, right. And of course, yeah. Um, for me, I would probably prefer to read the book. Yeah. I cannot, off the top of my head, think of a book that was turned into a movie where I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, <laughs> it I was, was talking. It's just better than any book. Yeah, I was talking to another writer, and I told us, I thought, I thought they did Crazy Rich Asians really well. Um, oh, yeah. I actually like that movie, but I haven't read the book. The, read the book, because they actually did that one pretty, pretty well. So that was pretty close. There are a few things they left out, a few, few mm. things they over-dramatized, but um, they they um, they did a pretty good job with that one. Yeah, and that that's usually the case with me is like I might see the movie but have not read the book, or I might read the book <laughs> and not see the movie that yeah. was based on the book. It's yeah. very rare where okay, 
yeah. booked a movie and I've seen both. <laughs> yeah, and, and another one I think, um, uh, The Sun is also a star. That one, oh my god, they did a good job. I, ha- I haven't read that one yet. Oh my god, movie. okay, I won't say anymore, but they did a good job on that. I mean, I have a basic idea with what it's about, but yeah, um, yeah, I haven't read it or seen the movie because I mean, I mostly I do read YA, I mostly mm-hmm. read adult romance, but mm-hmm. I do read YA as well. I'm actually trying to, I have a couple YA fantasy books by authors of color actually that I'm trying to get through this year hopefully I can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I read one already which was um the silver serpents by Roshni Chokshi which is book mm-hmm. two in her Gilded Wolves series I love that series I, yeah. I just they need to make it into a Netflix series I need it I need <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah that would be a good one I would yeah. always recommend um that series to people. Mm. But yeah, I have a couple YA fantasy books that I hope to get through this year. But I mean, I mostly read adult romance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So your favorite place to write? Um. Well, I mostly write in. Actually, I always write in my room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On my bed. But what I hope to do this year um, is to get a dedicated like desk. Mm-hmm. And proper chair space mm-hmm. because I realize, especially with everything that's going on on hand, being forced to work from home, that I don't have proper workspace and I need it. Because, right. And I get and I do get a little jealous when I see other writers have these really cute workspaces, and I'm like, well, I don't have that. I just have my bed, and and that's something I kind of want to work towards too. Right, right, right. And it, it's just better for my. Back and in general, oh, it's gonna yeah. be a chair. The bed is not. Yeah, really, <laughs> yeah. I'm, do, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this podcast in my dedicated space, which is an office. So oh I'm, 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 I need it needs decorating, but I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, so that that's it's on my list. That's a goal for when things open and I can go and look for some furniture. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you got a huge advance for your book, what would be the biggest purchase that you would make? Um, hmm. I feel like my goal is just to travel. I think I want to go places, see places. Mm. And I mean, I just, before all of this happened, I just got my US visa in November. So that's how I ended up traveling to New York. Oh, nice. In December. That wasn't even really planned. Mm-hmm. It happened. And I was actually supposed to go Atlanta and Miami in June this year. That's obviously not happening. <laughs> so I think I would definitely want to travel. That's probably how I would spend my money more than anything else. Or some of that might go towards, you know, creating an office space for myself. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah I, don't think I, would, I don't think I would splurge on, on anything else, really. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. So book, re- book reviews, do you read them or not read them? Um, well, I mean, as a a reader, I do. I do read them. Um, it's important for me as a reader to read reviews before I start reading a book. But I think when I am published and I actually have a book for other people to review, (laughs) um, I don't know. I I am curious by nature, so I would want to read it. That might be a detriment. That might be a detriment to me if I read it and I'm like, 
one is why this person said this about my book. Oh, but I don't, I, I, don't do I don't think I would want to publicly vent about it. My ticket to the DMs or the chat group or something. Mm-hmm. Or just not read it because I think mentally it would not be helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. yeah. So the last romance novel that you read. Um, the last novel that I read actually was An Arc of Island Affair by Priscilla Oliveros. It mm-hmm. actually had one of my favorite tropes, which is fake dating. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like fake dating. Characters have to pretend to date, and that always adds to shenanigans, especially if they're doing it to convince their family mm-hmm. of something. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I always enjoy families in romance. I love secondary, well-written secondary characters. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to... And well, the, the main character, the hero, he has siblings. So I'm pretty sure his siblings are going to get books. I love when authors do that, when the siblings, the other siblings... Yeah, Jasmine Hillary's doing that. So I like that. She, she, she has like a whole world with her character. So her next book is about... Um, the main character's sister, so I'm, I'm excited about that. And I am the kind of person who I cannot write a standalone book for the love of me. I always write <laughs> series. So everything that I planned so far, it's either um, siblings are going to get books or best friends are going to get books mm-hmm. or whatever. There's always going to be mm-hmm. I'm always planning series. I, I, I don't know. How, how do people write standalone? That That is a question. <laughs> because I love reading about secondary characters, and I love writing secondary characters. I, mm-hmm. I think my characters need to have support systems, so that's why I give them siblings and best friends and co-workers, so yeah. there's a wide possibility of anybody getting a book. Actually. Right, right, right. Really? Yeah. So music, does that help you write? And if so, what kind of music do you listen to? Um, I actually create write, uh, music playlists for mm. my projects. So each project has different music that is that kind of gives you the mood of what the book is about. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing is, I might not always listen to the playlist while I'm writing because certain playlists, surprise, surprise, have soca on it. <laughs> <laughs> and when I start in the playlist, I get distracted by the soccer music. <laughs> singing along and dancing instead of actually putting words on page. <sighs> so sometimes I will listen to music, but what I have to find myself doing, I'm like, okay, I have to soften it a little bit so it's not so right. distracting. Right. Or I just write with no music. But I do yeah. have playlists for each of my projects. Yeah. Oh, I I, I just started doing that because the work I'm working on now is like it, the the characters love 90s R&B so mm-hmm. I, I I made like a 90s R&B baby maker type of type of playlist <laughs> so I was like yeah this is what this is what I, I mean, need to write. Who, who doesn't like 90s R&B I know right right like I think one of my playlists actually have 112 on it and I remember I had a one I had I fully had a 112 cassette <laughs> yes, That's yes. A thing. yes, yes, yes. Time over and over and over. That is that is good music. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> um, is there a book that you wish you would have written? Um, 
Yeah, basically anything that Talia Hebert writes because oh. her, her books are just amazing. I love the one specifically that I wish I had written is the masterpiece that is Wanna Bet. I love that book. That's my favorite. I don't know if you've read that one. No, I no, I I'm I'm writing I'm reading her uh Get a Life Chloe. I read Get a Life Chloe Brown. Mm-hmm. And then I'm I got the second one on pre order. So I'm like I'm trying to get into that series. So yes. I'm like, okay, I, yeah. Get a Life Chloe Brown was really good and um it was good. take a hint, take a hint, Danny Brown was really good too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so when you get a chance to go back and read her backlist, please do because I, will. I love the characters, Raul and Jasmine, because, mm. you know, Talia just has that knack for, oh, her stuff is so funny. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is funny. Yeah. If anybody, you know, if anybody is asking me for rom-coms, I would direct them to Talia, because, you know, sometimes, um, and I think this was a discussion I had on Twitter the other day, some rom-coms aren't actually funny, though. <laughs> right, right, they're not funny. They're- they're marketed as romantic comedy, but then you read it and it's like, okay, this wasn't really funny. But I think Talia excels at writing really funny, emotional stuff. Right, right, right. So Wanna Bet is definitely a book that I wish I had written because it's just, it's just amazing. Mm. Is there a favorite word that you use in your writing? Um... Apart from just, which is not a favorite word, it's a word I need to remove. (laughs) I think maybe smoked. Um, Sometimes my heroes and characters in general might be smoking, but not for, like, bad reasons. They just (laughs) like to, okay, if it's a rival to lovers, then people are smoking because they're amused and like to tease the other person who's just annoyed by this person's very existence. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I overuse it, but it's definitely in I think most of the things that I write. <laughs> okay, and um, if okay, we talked about books to movies, so if mm-hmm. your book became a movie, who would you want to play the leads? Ooh, okay. Um. Okay, so for the book that I have on submission right now, the hero, definitely I would want Charles Michael Davis to play my oh, hero. Yes. Because Charles Michael Davis actually pull, is the actor who plays Marcel on the originals and Vampire Diaries. Yes, I know exactly who he is, girl. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> he is, he is who I have as my inspiration for my character, Kieran. So, I mean, if if that was ever a thing that could become real life, yeah, yeah. I would probably pass out if that ever happened. He is, he is very handsome, yes. Because, yeah, and because I um, I have a lot of his photos in my, um, like, in my Pinterest board and in my inspiration folders because there's a particular photo where he is smoking. He smokes a lot. That Kieran, <laughs> my character, smokes a lot in that book. Is mm-hmm. um, that one where Charles Michael Davis is the inspiration? It's a rivals to lovers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a particular photo of the actor smoking, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> my inspiration. This is gonna infuriate the heroine so much, right? <laughs> right, infuriate and also make her be like, why is he looking so good in this suit? It's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, where, I, I would be a dream. <laughs> awesome. No, what about the female lead? Um, I actually had Megan Markle as my inspiration. Yeah, interesting. Uh-huh. Well, I guess she can't act anymore, honey. So I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that one would go. Um maybe not who. <laughs> <laughs> well you can you can get the girl that played her in like the lifetime movie. I don't think I actually saw that movie. It was horrible. But just, just, (laughs) (laughs) but just, you know, you can get, maybe, maybe just look up the actress. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, she'd be a a generic Mary Megan Marker. I'm not trying to say she's a generic (laughs) person, but generic Megan Marker. (laughs) So, um, where do you see romance novels going in the next, say, 10 years, decade? Um, well, I would hope that they continue to feature, you know, more marginalized identities, mm-hmm. um, you know, authors of color who are marginalized in various ways, maybe disabled characters. Mm, I'd like to see um, that. Too. Yeah. Some more diversity in like body size. So fat characters, but, you know, maybe written by people who can actually write a proper representation of that because, yeah, you mm-hmm. might have those characters represented but not in a good way <laughs> right 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 yeah. and, and, and I just I just really hope that people can more people can see themselves in romance novels because I think everybody mm-hmm. deserves um, to see themselves in those books and see themselves having a happily ever after know yes. that yeah we deserve to have a happily ever after too yeah. Um, yeah. and hopefully publishing could realize that as well and yeah just maybe more romance novels featuring perhaps like trans people of color actually written by trans authors of color mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not and, just having them in there just to have some quote-unquote diversity in your book yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah, yeah you know more, pe- more people writing about their experiences basically mm-hmm. yeah in a genuine yeah. way Mm-hmm. And when it's okay, this is my last question. So, when it's all said and done, what do you want readers to say about the books that you write? Um, I would want readers to say maybe my books made them laugh or hungry because you know of all that food that I'm putting in there. I want to come to Trinidad. <laughs> exactly. Um, make them want to learn more about my island or maybe visit my island or mm-hmm. listen to soca music. I just basically want readers to love my characters as much as I do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Simple as that. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Natalie, for being on this podcast. It's been so much fun. I could talk to you for a whole nother hour. <laughs> but I know <laughs> you can go. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for being a part of this uh, writing in color series. And I look forward to reading your book when it gets published and I know somebody's going to pick it up because who does not want to know about uh, bake or shark and bake and, and uh, doubles yeah, and Trinidad. <laughs> island romance. Who exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
And we're back. I hope you all enjoyed our episode, our um, interview with uh, Natalie uh, N.G. Peltier. We wish her much success on her submission uh, journey here to getting her work out there and uh, snatched up by some amazing, amazing publishing house. So we hope that um, her work gets out there to the masses. Um, in writing, uh, in watching romance uh, right now, um, I don't, the only recommendation I have for this week is I binged watch Hollywood by Ryan Murphy and it was so good. It was a diverse cast, queer folk, black folk, uh, all types of people, um, kind of a rewriting or retelling of Hollywood from Ryan Murphy's uh, perspective. And it was so good. Such a good series, about eight episodes, an hour long, and it kind of rewrites the kind of wrongs of of Hollywood and what they could have done better in the 30s and 40s, uh, basically. Um, But it was so, so good. But that's my watching romance recommendation. But you all can follow um, Natalie on on, uh, social media at Trini Elf, T-R-I-N-I-E-L-F. And that is her social media handles on pretty much everywhere. Um, and she, you can also find her at NellyPeltier.com. So, um, thank you all so much. And we will see you all next week for our next installment of writing in color with romance in color. Talk to you all later.